I'd like uh, for you to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 9, and we'll be looking at verses 7 through 21 as we uh, finish up our study on Abimelech. And so, as we look at these verses, I'd like for you to uh, go with me in prayer to the Lord, and I'm going to be reading uh, these verses, and I want you to uh, just think about also the, uh, <clears throat> the connection, the parallel between spirit and flesh, as we, have, we talked about the last time we looked at this passage, and we'll continue to look at it in that sense tonight. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to worship you, and I pray that it'll be a time where we glorify you. We honor you by what we do. And what we say and how we receive what you've got to say to us through uh, or what you have to say to us through your word thank you for these that have come out and lord make it a, a time where we uh, hear something special from you this can only happen by your grace and and by you working in our hearts and our lives through your word in a special way you know our hearts you know what we need you know what we need to hear and you know how it needs to be said. And so I pray that our ears will receive it that way. Our hearts will understand it that way. And that we will respond according to the way that will bring honor and glory to your name. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Beginning with verse 7, it, it says, uh, Now, when they told Jotham, he went and stood on the top of Mount Garrison and lifted his voice and called out. Thus he said to them, Listen to me, O men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And here he's going to give us a parable. Now who is Jotham? He's the one, the only son that escaped Abimelech's massacre, right? He killed all his half-brothers except this one. This one was the youngest, and he got away. So he stands up on the mountain, get this picture, and this is coronation of Abimelech, and so he's shouting this out over the valley where they could hear him. And <clears throat> this is what he says. He gives his parable. Once the trees went forth to anoint a king, talking about Abimelech, and uh, to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, they approached the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my fatness uh, with which God and men are honored and go to wave over the trees? Then the tree said to the fig tree, you come reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go to wave over the trees. Then the trees said to the vine, You come, reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my new wine, which cheers God and men, and go to wave over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the bramble, This is a bush. You come, reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you are anointing me as king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. I want you to get the picture. 
this parable? Had God called a king over Israel? No. He has pulled judges out to lead them. But he has not called a king. Abimelech made himself the king. Now, this happens, and I want you to understand this, and remember that this happens when a void, spiritual void, comes in our life. It happens to believers. When we allow, when we're not walking in the Spirit, if we're not walking in the Spirit, that void that is there by a lack of leadership of the Spirit because we chose not to allow God to, to lead us, what takes place? Usually, The flesh. And so, in verse 16, Now therefore, if you have dealt in truth and integrity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt with, uh, well with Jerubal and his house, have and have dealt with him as he deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life. He was a judge that was called out and delivered you from the hand of Midian. In other words, Gideon did this. But you have risen against my father's house today and have killed his sons. That's what Abimelech did. Seventy men on one stone and have made Abimelech the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your relative. Or that's what he claims, isn't he? If then you have dealt in truth and integrity with Zerubbabel and his house this day, rejoice in Abimelech. And let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume the men of Shechem. You, you remember the, the parable he just told? Who is he relating that, uh, that bramble bush to? Abimelech. To consume the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. Then Jothan escaped and fled and went to Beer and remained there because of Abimelech, his brother. Now, Abimelech introduced us to the conflict for control. There is a conflict going on in our life for control, isn't it? I mean, there is a conflict for the flesh or the spirit to control. What are we going to walk in? We're going to walk in the flesh or we're going to walk in the spirit? Jothan's parable reminds us of the nature of this struggle that we face as Christians, just like they face this, this struggle uh, with, with not having the proper one rule over them, a judge. Suddenly, in the middle of Abimelech's uh, coronation, in his, during his ceremony, there was this interruption by Jothan. That sound that rang up uh, through the natural amphitheater in the distance. And there he stood. The eyes all of a sudden hear this voice echoing through, and they turn to catch where it was coming from and who it was. And it was Jotham, the half-brother to Abimelech, who escaped the butchery of Abimelech. And here we have the first recorded biblical parable to teach us a great lesson. So let's go back to the parable here. The parable is about trees trying to find a king. And the first tree approached is the olive tree. You see, the trees of Lebanon sent their nominating committee 
or leadership team out with a short list of nominees for their kings or their king. And the olive tree was the first one they approached. And the olive tree looked good. And so they approached him and because it was a very valuable and prized tree. And they asked if it would be their king. And of course the reply was no. Why should I leave my fatness with which God and men are honored and go and sway over the trees? This is man-made. This is what you're doing. It's not what God has called. God has called, he called Gideon as judge. He hasn't called any of you. The olive tree was too involved in fulfilling what olive trees do best, producing oil by which both God and men are honored. And so olive oil was used in anointing or honoring people uh, and the more mundane matters also of medicine and giving light, fuel for lamps, and, and cooking. And it would be pointless for the olive trees to be appointed with olive oil, the very thing that they produced. They said, this is pointless. Second tree mentioned is a fig tree. And it gave the same response. Why should I leave my sweetness and the good fruit for such a silly function? The fig tree was too busy doing useful things such as being food and a sweetener to be devoted by trading its rule, uh, uh, you know, being devoted to that for trading its rule for kingship. And the third offer was to the vine. It responded in a similar way. Shall I leave my new wine which cheers God and men and go to wave over the trees? The fruit of the vine brings joy. Why abandon such a noble row with such a dubious one? Now, having run out of options, and this is the way it happens so often. Once the committee has asked all these people and they refuse, then they settle for whomever. Without prayer, without leadership of the Lord, they fill that void, they fill that spot with whatever they think is needed. Same way in our lives. We do the same thing when we're doing work for the Lord. If we're not careful, we haven't prayed, and if we, we don't feel the leadership of the Lord, then what are we going to do? We're going to feel it in the way that we see best. Not maybe what God sees, but the way we see best. So they come to the bramble bush, whose existence was part of the curse in Genesis chapter 3. It was not a tree, it was a bush, which was useless because it bore no fruit. It was dangerous, and in hot weather, it could catch fire and burn up the countryside. So it was also no good for producing shade. It had no good function. And the bramble bush said to the trees, If in truth you are anointing me as king over you, Come and take refuge in my shade. What shade? But if not, 
May fire, and yes, fire will come from it and burn up the whole countryside. May, fi may fire come out from the bramble and consume the cedars, the whole countryside. All the cedars, all the trees of Lebanon. So verse 15 is filled with sarcasm here. Uh, the bramble bush could not offer cover, it couldn't offer shade, it couldn't offer uh, fruit, it can offer refuge. And by its very nature, it hurt those who came near it, really. But it had this grandeur illusion, you know, this illusion of grandeur. It willingly accepted the offer and loudly called the other trees to take refuge in its shade. In other words, hey man, I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. Jothan's point was obvious. When they crowned Abimelech, they were choosing an absolutely worthless man. He could not give them protection. All he could do is be dangerous for them. And he would, be, he would end up destroying them. Jothan finished his message with a very pointed prediction. And that was that they would be hurt, that they would be destroyed. So let's look at the prediction. If then you have dealt in truth and integrity with Jerubal and his house this day, in other words, with Gideon's house, rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. Now if you've really been honest about it, you've sought out God and you've been honest with what uh, uh, Gideon has done, you know, what uh, Jerubal has done, and you can rejoice in it, in his actions, Abimelech's actions, where he has wiped out all his half-brothers, except for me, then let him, let him rejoice in you. And, but if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. In other words, you destroy each other. That's what's going to happen. You destroy each other. You see, the parable of Jothan contained the lesson that God intended for his people to hear and to see and to understand. The spiritual vacuum in Israel at this time was not filled with someone that was fruit-bearing, someone who was useful for God, a godly man. The vacuum was filled by a worthless individual, a useless individual. The vacuum here was filled with a, a dangerous bramble, which was Abimelech. The war that goes on in the flesh, we are still live, uh, left with the old flesh. The war that goes on with the flesh and the spirit that lives within us is evidenced here in this very story. The flesh is a bramble. Now if the bush takes control of our lives, it will not produce fruit. Not the kind of fruit that will benefit God's kingdom but rather the ugly, destructive works of the flesh. And they're categorized and cataloged in 
Galatians. Let me just read them. In Galatians 5, 19 through 23, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things, in other words, if it's an ongoing lifestyle like this, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There has not been a change. Why? Because you're just living in the flesh. There has never been a time when the Spirit has come in. But if the Spirit comes in, then you will be at war with those. And unfortunately, you will give in to those at times if you're not walking in the Spirit. It's whoever fills that vacuum at that time. For the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. So the principle of control here is clear. My life will show the results of who controls me. Now, what about if I, uh, I act in a certain way that's classified uh, in Galatians 5, 19 through 21? Well, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, yes, you can act that way. But it just shows you when you act that way who you're allowing to control you. Who am I? I'm allowing to control me when I act that way. So we allow that vacuum to be filled at whatever moment it is as believers. But if a person does not change and continually, continually acts this way, and the flesh is all that is evidence in that person's life and never the fruits of the Spirit, then you can see that that person has never been born again. Because only one control is controlling you. That void is being filled only by the flesh. So the flesh will produce destructive works, while the Holy Spirit will produce a Christ-like character in you. Now Jothan says, My father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, in verse 17. And, uh, you know, after that, he says, My father set you free, but he says, Who are you choosing to follow? Are you choosing the God who used Gideon? Or are you choosing the one who has destroyed the whole family? So he says, you have risen against my father's house today and have killed his son, 70 men on one stone and have made Abimelech the son of his maidservant king over the men of Shechem because he is your relative. Now look at what my father did for you, they're saying. And now you're allowing someone born of a maidservant, and this is very important, to rule over you. And the reference that of Abimelech's mother being Gideon's maidservant was a deliberate slur. For she was a free woman, not a slut. She was his concubine. And she probably came from that uh, family that gathering at Shechem 
she probably came from a fairly um, uh, wealthy or, or a good family. And he met her through that and uh, made her his concubine. So the reference of Abimelech's mother being Gideon's maidservant, it was a deliberate slur. And so the people should have looked unto the Lord for a leader like Gideon, but instead they chose the son of his slave concubine here. And for the sake of a personal gain, you know, they acknowledged him as their brother, which we'll look at a little bit closer as we move on. You see, Jothan states that time will reveal the wisdom and folly of their actions. He predicts that fire will come out from Abimelech and consume the men of Shechem. If we choose to allow the Holy Spirit to rule over us and control us, we will continue to grow and progress as we allow that to happen. Do we ever sin? Do we ever slip? Yeah, we sure do. But that doesn't mean that we can't, as we do that, allow the Holy Spirit to show and reveal to us when we do that and confess that and then move on and keep on progressing. Uh, you know, my body moved by the Holy Spirit becomes that instrument of God for his glory, not for mine, as I walk in the Spirit. But when I allow the flesh to dominate me with its desires, then comes the downward spiral that results so often in a crash. And my body at that time is not under the control of God and His Spirit. But my evil desire, my evil flesh. And under His control it becomes a vessel, as we know in 2 Timothy 2.21, a vessel for honor, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. 2 Timothy 2.21 now let's look at the, the uh, results from the conflict. And these are in verses 22 through 57. And, and we're going to just move through these verses and, and try to hit the high spots because that, uh, these are a lot of verses to, to read at one time. So we will try to move right along. Abimelech came with great promises. He says, remember, I am... Your flesh and blood, I will be the king who really gives you freedom. That's basically what he is saying. It is a promise that a false king loves to give, and no one loves that promise more than the flesh. We hear it in, in, in Washington all the time. False promises, and our flesh loves to hear that. And Peter warns us about this kind of king with his promise. Who, whose promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption, it says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. <clears throat> the results, false promises are followed by disillusionment. This is what happened at Shechem. Uh, the people quickly, what, realized that Abimelech was not a liberator, but a tyrant. When that was realized by the people, what did they try to do? Like so many of us, we try to break away. But you see, the, the problem is if we're not walking by the Spirit and if we don't allow the Spirit of God to work in us, we will not see things spiritually. And when our breakaway, when we try to liberate ourselves, we are trying to liberate ourselves in the flesh, usually, instead of the Spirit. 
allowing, humbly coming before God, admitting this, and allowing God to show us what we need to do, along with accepting the consequences for going that way. We don't want that. And so Abimelech set up one of his lieutenants, Zabel, as governor in Shechem while he, ru he, while he ruled Ophrah. And resentment was on the rise, though. It says that God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem. Hostilities erupted. The spirit sent from God in order that the crime against Jerubal, 70 sons, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem who had helped him murder his brothers. They had backed him up. So, and fought with them. So we may not think this to be true because many times we don't see it instantly. Judgment comes upon someone for their wrong. At least not the way that we think that it might occur sometimes, but it does. But that does not mean that it will not or has not come. Because the scriptures tell us in uh, Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. We can, uh, we can believe that. We may not see it, and we may not even see it in our lifetime, but it does happen and it will happen. So when Abimelech and Shechem, uh, you know, uh, the result with them was that they became foes and allies became adversaries. And the men of Shechem began to ambush and rob all travelers and caravans. And uh, because the action could, uh, you know, seriously affect the economy of several towns, it was reported back to Abimelech. And Abimelech soon finds tension and divisiveness, treachery and rebellion in the ranks of those who formerly were uh, behind him and supported him. And the first to turn against him is his brothers, it says, the men of Shechem. So as Abimelech had planned the death of Gideon's sons, so now the men of Shechem plot to assassinate him. What did, uh, what did Jothan's uh, parable say? I mean, it, it's, it's coming on one another. And they're going to what? They're going to destroy one another. So here we see the leader of opposition in chapter 9, verses 26 through 29. And our anarchy becomes more and more common in the land. In 25b, 20, uh, it says, And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who might pass by them along the road. It, and it was told to Abimelech, a man named Gaul comes to Shechem, and with him a band of armed men. And he was originally from the region, now a, a man of fortune, it seems, and he had gathered about him a group of mercenaries. And so he and his men now take up residence in Shechem. And their numbers uh, and combined strength are probably more than a match for the token force that Abimelech left there in the city. So intensifying hostilities uh, with those men in Shechem uh, began to rise. And it was felt by Abimelech because it was against Abimelech. 
and a new Canaanite family moved into town. This Gaul, this son of Ehud, and his brothers. And so that just added to it. And it seems to be, you know, he seemed to be shrewd enough to realize that there was a little uh, conflict there or somewhat conflict between them and Abimelech. So he jumped on it. Isn't that the way Satan works a lot of times? He uses us, he uses other people, he uses whomever he can. And there is a, you know, there's someone that uh, another one uh, sees that, that he can overcome. And so in turn, what he does is uh, he makes that, tries to make that person look bad by causing more intensity with these people because he, he feels a little uneasiness there. Instead of trying to work it out, he makes it worse. And this is what he did, God did. And he has deliberately to, uh, you know, uh, choose to stir up the people from within. And so um, the men of Shechem seemed to be open for change. And there he was. And this man quickly gained the allegiance of the citizens. And after harvesting the grapes and making wine, he held a festival in Baal Berith Temple. This was the same temple where the treasury had provided the money for Abimelech to exterminate his half-brothers. And it seemed the party turned into a gripe session, a complaining session, which often is, especially when it's led by the flesh, right? And it was a bit about or against Abimelech, whom they cursed. And again, the second time in this chapter, the men are swayed by a slick talker. God. And this is what happens when we're not controlled by the Lord. We allow anybody to come in. This is why Paul told the people of Ephesians, of Ephesus when he left. He said, be careful because wolves will come in and destroy you. And you know, that's what eventually happened to Ephesus. I mean, no longer is, you know. And they came in and they took over. They gradually took over with their doctrines. They sounded good. With their teachings, they sounded good. But they caused confusion and conflict and they were very destructive. And so the vacuum will continue to be filled by the brumbling bushes like Abimelech, the flesh, if we allow it to happen. Y'all made three essential points. First of all, Abimelech was not worthy to rule over Shechem. Why? Well, he was a Jew, but part Jew. But he made sure not to bring up the point that Abimelech's mother was not a Jew, but a Canaanite. He made the point to make sure that they knew that he was Jew or Jewish. And so he was playing the race card, you know. And then second... Gaul claims that the Shechemites should only um, serve other Shechemites. And he considered himself that, a Shechemite. And third, Gaul claims that if the Shechemites were under his command, he would defeat the army of Abimelech. And his words are a direct challenge to the, the men of Shechem to cast off their allegiance to their king, Abimelech. He encourages them to take independent action. In Judges 9, 27 through 30, he went out into the field and gathered the grapes of their vineyards and tried them and 
held a festival and they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gaul, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? Who is Shechem? That we should serve him. Is he not the son of Jerubal? And is Zebel not his lieutenant? Serve the men of Hamar, the, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would therefore that this people were under my authority? Then I would remove Abimelech. And he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. Talk big, didn't he? We'll see that he wasn't as big as he thought he was. Abimelech's lieutenant, his surrogate governor over Shechem, became furious and secretly sent messengers, it says, to Abimelech to report the insurrection. And also, he suggested, he's a very wise person, he suggested a strategy, this wasn't the first one, that you might send some of your men and lie in wait during the night for him, thus catching Gaul in his cohort by surprise. <clears throat> Abimelech thought that it was uh, wise to carry through with uh, Zabel's uh, suggestion so he divided his men into four companies and had them wait with him just outside the city and it says in verse 34 so Abimelech and all the people who were with him arose by night and lay in wait against Shechem in four companies and in verses 35 through 41 we're told about the outcome that awaited Gaul and his men Gaul realized he was uh, trapped by Abimelech and his soldiers he came out from there hiding place and Zabel said to him where is your boasting now with which you said who is Abimelech that we should serve him is this not the people whom you despise go out now and fight them so Gaul went out before the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech and Abimelech chased him and he fled before him and many fell wounded upon the entrance of the gate then Abimelech remained at Arumal but but Zebel drove out Gaul and his relatives so that they might not remain in Shechem. Now in handling Gaul, Zebel showed himself to be a master in the arts of strategy. But he first lulled Gaul and caused him to waste valuable time before summoning his men. Then he turned on him and challenged him to prove himself by fighting Abimelech. And Abimelech knew where he was, what he was doing, and he had him surrounded. And since Gaul had no other option, he, it says he led the citizens of Shechem and fought Abimelech. They were defeated by Abimelech's army and were chased into <coughs> Zabel. And it seems to, re or to retreat by Zabel. And it seems that Abimelech had more uh, pressing matters in Arumah. So when Zal was taken care of, there was no need to retaliate further. Zabel, who proved himself faithful uh, to Abimelech, was reestablished in Shechem, where thousands of people in the city would probably not uh, be giving uh, Abimelech any more trouble. I mean, hey, you're not going to rise up against Abimelech when you saw what happened. But Abimelech wanted revenge through, uh, though. As soon as the vulnerability of the people showed itself, they thought all was well. They went back to their livelihoods, their normal business. What happened? Abimelech and his three companies of men attacked the unsuspecting citizens. He no longer desired allegiance, he, uh, their allegiance, and he desired their blood. And it's 
You know, we see that it's not wise to trust someone with power when he has already massacred his family. So it says that he, in verses 43 through 45, so he took his people, divided them into three companies, and lay in wait in the field. And when he looked and saw the people coming out of the city, he arose against them and he slew them. Then Abimelech and the company who was with him dashed forward and stood in the entrance of the city gate. The other two companies then dashed against all who were in the field and slew them. Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he captured the city and killed the people who were in it. Then he raised the city and, and sowed it with salt. Abimelech struck down those in the fields, down in their city, and scattered salt all over it. And the people in the city had retreated to the tower. What did he do? The str their stronghold, their god of Baal, for safety's sake, and Abimelech set fire to the tower and burned up the people that had retreated there. And then he sows it with salt. Abimelech wasn't content, though, with what he did to Shechem. He now moves to a small city about 10 miles northeast of Shechem and Thesbus. And he saw uh, Abimelech, uh, the people there saw Abimelech and, and approaching. So what did they do? They took refuge in their tower. Then it says, then Abimelech went to Thesbus. And he camped against Thesbus and captured it. But there was a strong tower in the city of the city, uh, or in the center of the city. And all the men and women with all the leaders of the city fled there and shut themselves in. What happens? He does the same thing there. We're not sure for the reason for doing the same to Thesbus as uh, he did to Shechem. But it could have been some kind of allegiance and probably was that they had. But whatever the reason, Abimelech approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire. But what happened? Things were a little bit different there. The outcome wasn't the same, but the parable and the prophecy came true. As, a, as they were doing that, and there at the tower, it says, a woman took a upper millstone and dropped on his head and cracked his skull. And as he lay there dying, he begged his armor bearer to finish the job, lest people adopt the saying that a woman killed him as his epitaph. So the soldier complied with his wishes, and, but everybody knew that Abimelech was not killed by another soldier in battle. He was killed by a woman. And so when Israel, uh, the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. And in verses 56 and 57, it lets us know that God is a sovereign one. Even though we may let some ungodly person rule over us, God is still sovereign. God allows us to choose who we will to rule over us. And the same is true concerning our, our lives spiritually. If we allow it to, to have a vacuum, if we're not walking with the Lord, it will be filled by the flesh. If we will are not if we as believers, truly as believers, have been saved, but we start walking in the flesh, I can guarantee you that vacuum will be filled by the flesh. It will control you. All too often, when Christians turn from the Lordship of Christ and embrace a false promise of freedom, they find themselves in despair. And what happens? 
is left to the flesh. And that flesh will lead us to destruction. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Judges 9 here poses the great question. Is there a power vacuum in your life? We should ask that. If Jesus is not Lord, then what is Lord of our life? The flesh. The Abimelech bush. If we're not walking in the spirit, then we're definitely walking in the flesh. There's no alternatives. This is what it's telling us, which is true of us. We must ask the question. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.